In our culture, addiction in its many forms wreaks great destruction. If it doesn't touch our own lives, chances are it does someone we love. What does the church have to offer addicts? And how does an addiction recovery program teach newly sober folks how to journal the voice of God? My guest is Nick Reynolds, the executive director of Dunklin Memorial Church. Dunklin is more than a church, a 68-bed residential treatment center offering a 10-month program for addicts in the swamps of South Florida. There's much here for us to learn from their 50 years of work. My name is Nathan Foster, and this is the Renovare Weekly Podcast. Hey, Nick. How are you? Good morning, Nate. How are you? It's good to see you. Hey, glad we get to glad we get to do this. Tell me a little bit about your church, Duncan Memorial Church. Well, we're a little different. I mean, we are church, but if you look at our primary purpose and calling, we are an, we are actually a drug and alcohol regeneration ministry. Okay. So uh, within our structure, we focus on ministering the gospel to drug addicts and alcoholics primarily. We are a 68-bed facility, an in-residence regeneration program mm-hmm. uh, designed to minister to men. We bring them in here, and they're here for 10 months, um, where we take them through a process where they are introduced to the person of Jesus in an intimate relationship. And we not only work with them, but also their families, uh, their wives, and their children as well. Uh, but that's our primary calling. Uh, we do have a church that is mm-hmm. open to the outside where we meet on Sundays, but it's it's definitely a different concept as far as church goes. Mm-hmm. Um, same principle as far as ministering the love of Jesus Christ, but uh, also realizing that probably 90 percent of the people that come to our church are out of re out of addiction and into recovery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good. And you guys have been going for is it 50 years? Is that right? Since 1962, our founder, our founder started us in 1962. Wow. Wow. What, what do you think has um, been a piece of your kind of longevity in this work? I think uh, Mickey Evans and Laura May, his wife, who are our founders, uh, you know, Brother Mickey, he passed about four years ago, actually August, four years ago. Mm. And uh, he, uh, what he passed on was a genuine, authentic love of Christ, uh, with strong character and integrity. He loved the unlovable. Mm-hmm. And so I think just over the years, just a strong credibility of an authentic faith and someone who passionately loved Christ and loved to see people transform mir- miraculously. I mean, he believed the gospel could change people's lives. And so that's what we've all received. Mm-hmm. And that's what we continue to pass on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, it's a pretty intensive program. You said 10 months that uh, guys yes. would sign up to come? Absolutely. Yeah, we uh, we do it a little differently. We don't work with everybody we speak to. There is an intensive phone interview process. We try to pray through the phone calls that are coming in and make sure that it was it is someone who God wants us to work with. Are they hungry? Are they desperate? Um, are they in a place in their lives where they're willing to do whatever it takes? We understand that it's definitely a culture shock coming here from where they are to where they come into here. It's, it's diametrically opposed, mm-hmm. uh, our culture and the way we operate, and the way we live. But anybody that comes into a relationship with Christ, most of us, is it, that's a drastic change. Sure. Um, 
So it is intense. Um, once we filter out who we feel is a good fit, we want them to succeed when they come here. We mm -hmm. don't want them to fail. Mm -hmm. So if we can't help them, we help them find a place that we feel would be most conducive for them to um, achieve some victory in their lives. Uh, most men don't want to hear 10 months. Right. Uh, typically, we're dealing with uh, a clientele that have already gone through a 30-day program or that they've tried something easier, quicker, softer. Mm -hmm. And this is, I mean, we have no, there is no TV. There are no telephones. Um, if they want to correspond with people, they write letters. So mm -hmm. it's definitely a step back from where people are. Mm -hmm. If I were to come there today, um, what would I see? What would be kind of the culture that I might pick up in interacting with uh, your staff and also residents? Yeah, well, I think the unique thing about our staff is that all of us have actually been through the program, including myself. Okay. I, I came through in 1998. I was a, a cocaine addict for 10 years. So when you come in here, uh, we have a real good empath empathy as far as where that person is at. Uh, as a matter of fact, I received a phone call from a gentleman yesterday from my hometown. And I could, my heart could identify with where he was, the hopelessness of the situation. So when a gentleman walks in here, they're loved from the get. Um, mm -hmm. We we understand where they're at. We want we have hope for them. We see in them what God sees. They may not see that, but we continue to pour that love. Now there is a level of tough love as well. Mm -hmm. We're definitely not codependent, mm -hmm. and um, but there is a culture of hey, if you're willing to do whatever it takes and you want a life change, man, we'll go to battle with you. Mm -hmm. We'll go to war with you. Uh, we'll get in the trenches and we'll walk alongside you. But you also have to be willing to uh, change the expectations of your life. Where do you want to go? What do you want to accomplish? And who will you allow to help change you? Mm -hmm. So culturally, there's going to be a lot of love. There's going to be a lot of understanding. There's going to be every day is a battle with these guys, mm -hmm. uh, helping them um, detach from the lifestyle that they were li living and really apprehending this new life that's laid out before them. I mean, every day miracles are happening. <laughs> Talk to me a little bit about some of the tough love. So, I mean, I think that piece of having some empathy, understanding the hopelessness, the fear, um, but also one of the things I notice when addicts work with other addicts, there's a sense of um, I can see through your lies. I can see through the uh, kind of nonsense. How does that play out in your community? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, you know, an addict, um, their sin is just more evident um, than maybe a typical sinner. We don't necessarily believe in the disease concept, which some people may stand back and look at that. But me going through addiction myself, um, I was uh, liberated from that because Christ uh, allowed me to see who I really was and not to condemn me, mm -hmm. but to say, this is where your life is at and this is what you have caused. These were your decisions. You need to take ownership and responsibility for where you're at. Mm -hmm. um, I do love you, but your character needs to be transformed. I'm going to breathe a new life in you, and you have to grab a hold of that and let the old parts of you go. There is a process to that. And I think you know Christ, uh, when he works in our life, he has to get us to see reality. A lot of us, um, a lot of the guys that come in, they can't see clearly where they are. Um, you know, they're in denial. 
I was in denial when I, when I came in. I didn't see the ramifications, the impact that my addiction had on other people. So you got to stand back. You got to get the drugs out of your system. You got to look at your life and say, wow, look at the devastation that I've caused. Somebody's responsible for that. Hmm. And yes, some of us have gone through certain things in our life. We've been abused, uh, whether it's physically, sexually, mentally. Uh, and that is, and, and those are genuine issues. However, there comes a time in our life where we have to grow through those and God can use those to where we can help others down the road. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's helping a man understand that he is responsible for where he's at today and he will be responsible for where he's at tomorrow based on what he does today. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's good. That's good. How do you see character transformation playing out for these guys over the 10 months? I think that what happens is they come in. I could identify them in two different ways. One, they're all takers. You know, they've taken from their families. They've taken from the people that most love them. They, they've sucked people dry uh, in their boys um, in the process after the 10 months. And there's still a, lot, a long ways to go after they graduate. They're not complete. Neither am I. Um, but they're, they move from being a taker to a giver. Uh, and they move from being a boy to a man. They realize that God has something specific for them to do uh, in the kingdom and to be uh, somebody that, that breathes life, doesn't take life, that um, can pour into the people around them, that can affect their families in a positive way. So it's a slow, at times it's very slow to, to get a man to realize that he's selfish, he has a selfish nature, and everything that he's done in the past has been, what can I get to, wow. I have a new life in me. I have the ability to help influence other people around me in a positive way and breathe life. That happens on a daily basis. Uh, I mean, just just in the life of a man's family, when you see what happens in their marriage as he begins to treat his wife in a respectful, honorable way, realizing that he's been provided with a daughter of the king hmm. and the way he was treating her was wrong and then how to treat her the proper way. You see transformation in that relationship, which is very powerful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I really like that there's a community helping people do this, encouraging people. Um, how do you see community playing out with the guys? I think that's the, uh, the thing that really makes us stand out from other places like ours. We are a, what I would consider a covenantal community. Um, Yes, we are uh, the authority of these men. We're trying to guide them, teach them, lead them. But we're their brothers. Um, my, my family, we have a dining hall that all of us on staff are, are able to go and eat, eat and, and, and eat dinner with one another, with other staff members, with the men in the program. So we become one big family. Um, we don't, it's not an institution. As soon as they walk in the door, they're hugged. They're spoken to in a loving way. Mm-hmm. We do things together on the weekends. You may find me and my son out playing basketball with the guys on their free time on Saturday. It's a it's it's a big community. Mm -hmm. um, we don't ever want to lose that aspect of who we are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's not. I think I mentioned in one of our prior conversations that we label ourselves as a city of refuge. Mm -hmm. And that can be actually a family of refuge where you're embraced, you're loved, you're nurtured. There's a covering uh, there's a protective aspect to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, addiction is everywhere in our uh, culture and country. And if it doesn't affect people individually, they have family or friends that it uh, affects 
obvious or uh, sometimes in very devastating consequences. What do you want people to know about addiction? I think a perspective that overwhelms people is that there is no hope, hmm. especially if you're in an intense situation. You watch somebody in your family uh, battle through this and they come out on the losing side over and over again. And I remember my mom praying for me that she, she said, Lord, if, if it means me passing away so that he can live, that's what my prayer would be. Mm-hmm. And I think we get to that spot where we think, man, there's no hope for this, for this young man, for this young woman. And there is. Christ and his power is much more powerful than the addiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's such a defeating mindset. And it, it's a stronghold. And it's a deep bondage that keeps people in a place of defeat uh, where they don't believe that they can come out of this. Mm-hmm. And there is a way out. There is a way out. And it is possible. But when I think about my own life and what I've been pulled from, it blows my mind. Uh, you know, I don't ever want to forget. It was it was 18 years ago. However, I literally thought that I would die a cocaine addict. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And God had other plans. He pulled me out of that and he breathed truth into my, into my soul and into my mind. And he said to me, you are my son. I have something different for you. I want you to stay put and allow me to chisel and mold. And it took a while for me to hear that and see things from God's perspective, but it is possible. So anyone out there that's thinking, you know, my son will probably die. Uh, there, there is hope there is a way out of the affliction that he's in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. I mean, institutionally, the church institutionally um, hasn't necessarily had helpful things to offer people in terms of recovery. Um, what do you think has been missing? Uh, I think at times, uh, gosh, I don't want to uh, speak negatively towards the church at all. I mean, what a, we all love the church. Mm-hmm. I think at times it's just a, a level of ignorance, and that's not in a critical way. It's in a way of just recognizing that when you're dealing with an addict and a Christian uh, responds to people in a loving, in, a, in an endearing, in a uh, compassionate way, sometimes an addict doesn't know how to respond to that grace and mercy. Mm-hmm. They, they take advantage of it rather than become overwhelmed by it and respond in a awestruck way. <laughs> they see us, they see another opportunity to receive something maybe in the physical rather than uh, in the spiritual. And um, the church's heart is in the right place. They're just dealing, dealing with a monster that is very hard to understand and complex Mm-hmm. And and they get lost in uh, some of the methodology just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we differ in uh, on that level, just understanding addicts, the addictive nature, how they operate, the manipulation involved. Uh, and we have ways of combating that in a very effective, loving way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. When I think I mean, one of the pieces that struck me about Dunklin is the 10 month. And then, and then you guys provide opportunities for people to stay on for another two years for additional training. Uh, but that, to me, 
seems really significant that this is, you know, people didn't become addicts overnight uh, or, you know, I mean, these are years and years of building habit structures and such and committing to people to help unwind that, uh, I think makes a, makes a big difference. Yes. Yes. When I uh, think about my own addiction, I was in it for 10 years. You develop a very polluted way of thinking and processing information and looking at the world and looking at yourself. And then to come into a place where uh, you begin to hear a different voice, you begin to hear the voice of truth in every relationship, every situation, looking at your future, and it just doesn't resonate within us um, in a way that really impacted me initially. But it takes a while for that truth to permeate that hard heart Mm -hmm. that has taken years uh, to develop within me. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about what you teach people when they come in about journaling. Yeah, that's probably one of our, uh, I was thinking about it this morning, it's probably one of our most effective measures. As soon as a man comes in the program, for example, one was brought in yesterday. He receives a big brother who is a guy that's been in the program a little longer than him. And he also is introduced to, to what we call a quiet time partner. That, that man who is his quiet time partner is in a latter phase of the program called discipleship, and he teaches him how to hear the voice of God in the morning. They have a half-hour window that we call a quiet time where they journal, and they not only uh, journal their thoughts and their day, they do a, uh, what we call a daily moral inventory, looking at uh, maybe the sin in your life from the day prior, but then they spend time. We spend so much time talking to the Lord, we, we train them how to listen to the Lord and still yourself and open up the, the eyes of your heart and the ears of your heart and allow the spirit of God to whisper to your soul. And they write down those thoughts that God is speaking to them. So they, they go to a place of intimacy in this relationship with Christ that maybe they haven't ventured into before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very powerful for me when you hear, when you understand that maybe what you're hearing is not yourself. It is the Lord mm-hmm. It lines up with scripture. And there are other godly men to say, yes, that, that is, that is the voice of the father that will transform your relationship. That will transform your life when you understand that you're hearing from the creator. Mm-hmm. So you've got a guy who is coming in at the end, um, probably from sometimes from some pretty horrific situations, living on the streets, using, abusing people and, and say, here's a piece of paper. Listen, see what God says. I mean, it's that simple. Uh, what kind of things will, will people say, particularly early on? What kind of th- insights might they might they hear? I think you get two different. I mean, obviously, in order to hear uh, the voice of the Lord, there has to be a salvation experience. So we're always focused on that uh, right out the gate. And until that that happens, there's ob- obviously a lot a lot of mental contamination and responding to that in a spiritually healthy way. Um, so they may say, I'm not buying into it. I think that's just a lot of self-talk. But eventually, as that man grows and he identifies that counterfeit voice for, versus the true voice of God, he recognizes, wow, uh, some of the things that they begin to hear is, you're my son. <laughs> you, you are you are forgiven despite uh, the chaos and the turmoil that you've caused. I love you dearly. Mm. There, there is a plan. What I began to hear was stuff that lined up with scripture. And 
you know, Nick, I have a plan for you. Uh, I, I am so proud of you. You're my son. I'm, I'm so blessed for you to start to establish this relationship with me. I began to hear uh, that voice of hope, that voice of truth, and I began to see things differently. So that starts right out the gate. Mm-hmm. They begin to hear something positive, something life-giving, something that fills them full of hope. Mm-hmm. That hearing from God may not be just reserved for the super spiritual. That's right. Sometimes he talks to the most simple. Yeah, yeah. Those willing to take the time to listen. Yeah? That's right. That's right. Tell me about the uh, sociogram. Yeah, the, <laughs> the sociogram is, is a tool that we utilize uh, not every week, but the majority of, of every Tuesday. Uh, the guys come up with six different voting categories. They pray through these votes. And the categories are positive spiritual, negative spiritual, positive attitude, negative attitude, positive work ethic, and negative work ethic. So they lovingly observe one another throughout the week in the dormitories, in the cafeteria, in all these various places. And they pray and they allow the Lord to speak to them on who he would want them to love on through speaking a compassionate vote to them that says, uh, you know, Nate, I saw you doing this in the dorm. And I see that as very selfish um, and focused, being self-absorbed or whatever the vote may be. But it's done in such a way that to point out their flaws, those things that can be a detriment to them and their growth. Wait, you say vote, meaning the group votes? The group actually votes. Each man will go through a process where they speak truth. They First, they vote. They communicate their votes. And then the next round, they actually speak their specific votes to that man. We teach them how to do it one-on-one, eye-to-eye, and you. it sounds like very confrontational, but it's done in a very loving, caring way. So wait, the group votes and says, Bob's got some issues with his selfishness, and we all vote in a kind of affirming that we see this quality coming out? Is that? Yeah, that can happen. If I'm, if I'm in the sociogram, I come in there with six prepared votes. Okay. For six different men in those six different categories. Okay. And then we'll go through each of those categories. And let's say Bob had, um, they compiled the votes and Bob had four different positive spiritual votes. And then the staff member facilitating will say four men tell him why. Okay. And then those, those four men will speak their votes specifically to Bob. Looking straight at him in the group context. In the group context, looking straight at them. And always in the end, ending with, I love you. Uh, So it can be a positive, man, I'm seeing some beautiful fruit in your life. You're stepping up, you're doing some some good things. And so it becomes then a loving affirmation. But then the the opposite could happen as well. True, true. I think for addicts and alcoholics, one of the hardest things they have uh, to do is to receive love and positive affirmation. Mm. They're their worst critic. Yeah. So when they hear when they hear why wow, I watched you with your kids over the weekend, you are an awesome dad. Mm-hmm. You're loving. You're denying yourself. You're sacrificing. You're out there playing ball with them, and you could be sitting underneath the shade tree. Uh, that just overwhelms them to see. Wow, I have it in me to be a good man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of lot of tears during those. Absolutely. You know the guys come with a lot of brokenness, a lot of pain, a lot of turmoil. The majority of that being self-inflicted, shame, 
uh, and to see that slowly fall off of them is a beautiful sight to see. Yeah, I love it. There are times within the sociogram where, you know, a gentleman could really stand out in the body uh, for having a hard time. and he, he, could, he could walk in there and receive eight, ten negative votes. And he's obviously, there's a red flag flying above him. And we feel like the Lord's saying, this is the one I want you to focus on. And we may put him in the center of the room and we call it uh, being placed on the stool. And we may have the guys speak to him. We may go through the room and speak to him. And uh, allow him to see his fruit uh, of his life. But the whole point is not to battle the fruit necessarily, but to point out the fruit so that we can then um, go after the root. Like what's Mm -hmm. causing that behavior? Why do you do the things that you do? Mm -hmm. And allow the Lord to show him to go deeper than most people are willing to go. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you all those years ago, sitting on the stool? If I can ask. No, 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 that, that, that's good. I, I think um, my stools came in different ways. I mean, they did in the sociogram at times where you receive a good picture of who you really are and you don't like what you see and you want to change. And I think the awareness that I had, I, was grow- I grew up in a pretty healthy, loving family where I was presented many opportunities, but never did I really come to a place of overwhelming gratitude. And I actually worked in the sawmill. My, my stool was standing at a chop saw day in and day out because all the guys have jobs that they do around here in a given day. One of our industries is a sawmill. And I was operating a saw, and it's very loud, and you really can't hear anything but your own your voice and the voice of the Lord. And I was about ready to quit. I was about ready to throw it in. It was getting hot, and I wanted to run like I always had in my life. I wanted to get out of just the uh, uh, the trial. And I can remember crying out to the Lord and saying, I can't go any further. And he just very gently whispered, you know, this is what your, your father has done. Mm-hmm. His whole life, uh, my dad worked in a factory. And, and then he whispered to me, and you never thanked him. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I began to see that part of me, the ungratefulness and being spoiled and just not recognizing what was poured into me. Uh, it, it devastated me. It, it humbled me in a, in a positive way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful. Boy, I think we all need these kind of experiences in a loving community, being able to be called out the good and, and the challenges. Absolutely. Sounds Absolutely. Healthy. I, I think, uh, you know, I don't think it's very difficult for for us to deal with our, ourselves. And I think the guys that are here, uh, man, to know that you got people in your corner. That's mm-hmm. the that's the big thing that we try to communicate to them is we're not against you. We're not your opposer. It feels like that because someone is, are, is telling you these things that don't resonate within you initially. But we're not in front of them. We're behind them. We're in their corner. We're trying to coach them. We're giving them a drink of water. We're pointing them in the right direction. Mm-hmm. We're asking them to go before the Lord and hear those words of truth, those, those words of love. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. In talking with you, it's clear to me that you're very passionate and uh, moved by the work that you guys do. What do you love most about Dunklin? I fought for so long to do what I thought would bring me fulfillment in my life. I pursued a lot of different things. And when God finally 
apprehended my heart and allowed me to see a new purpose that he had for me. I realized that there was nothing greater in all the world that I could be a part than his kingdom. And I was running from something very beautiful and precious. It was a great privilege to be called his son and to be given an opportunity to be in his kingdom. When that day happened, uh, I realized I was where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And each day to wake up and to pass on this beautiful life of Christ to other people and to watch the transformation that takes place. I mean, you're talking about the most valuable thing in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and I get to be a part of that. <laughs> and, you, and you're talking about men that, you know, no one believes they can change. Nothing, nothing can change their life. And yet God does these miracles. I mean, we see miracles each and every day. Mm-hmm. So it's a very rich place. And we believe God has chosen us. We don't believe it's because we're so tricky or special. We fully recognize that he is the source and he's what makes it happen. So how would I not want to be a part of that? Mm-hmm. Um, how does the discipline of service play out and how important is that for people in recovery? I think that if, uh, you know, you recognize that we have been given a whole lot um, and to be able to give a little bit of that back, that's, you know, that's one way you keep it for sure. But it's more than just that. I mean, it's a whole different perspective when you look at living a life of service. Um, our training that you talked about after the program is called servant leadership training. Uh, most, you know, it's hard to shake that whole idea of leadership authoritative position to leadership getting under and serving the people around me uh, with a heart of maybe not being recognized. Mm-hmm. And it's not about me. It's about you. I believe if you look at any healthy recovering addict or alcoholic, they're giving away what's been given to them. Mm-hmm. There have been instances where uh, I have a person, let's say in Fort Myers, this was a real story where a gentleman, he was found himself in a hotel room, drinking himself to death. He wouldn't respond to his family and they were asking me for help. Um, typically we don't go into those situations. Uh, but I called an alumni that lived over there and I said, Hey, I have this guy in a hotel room. What would you think about going over there and trying to minister to him? And he said, I'll leave right now. I'll mm. stop what I'm doing. And I'll make my way over there. And he, he intervened and he helped this gentleman get into a detox. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're not doing those things, you are going to have a hard time holding on to what's been given to you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, one of the, the things that really struck me about your program is how you don't turn people away based off of finances. No, we don't. Uh, people always ask, what's the cost of your program? And we do have a cost to it. Uh, it's $4,000 for the entire 10 months. If you break that down, you're looking at about $100 a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't accept or reject. I mean, we're dealing with drug addicts and alcoholics. And most of those gentlemen, if they had $4,000, they wouldn't be knocking on our door. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and we also don't necessarily expect family members to walk in and cut a check for them. They're responsible for their life. They're responsible for what happens from here moving forward. There are those instances where a family member helps out, but we like to get him to recognize that this is his responsibility. So if he can't pay, 
he just agrees that afterwards uh, he'll send us what he can if it's five dollars, fifty dollars, or five hundred dollars a month. Uh, we trust, you know, the Lord's taken care of us for over 50 years. Somehow or another, uh, he makes the ends meet and he takes good care of us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's good. Well, Nick, this is fantastic. I so appreciate you taking the time to share with people about about your work there. I appreciate the offer. It's been uh, an exciting time. I was apprehensive at first, but yeah, I really enjoyed meeting you and talking to you, Nate. Well, there you have it. You can find more about Dunklin on their website, dunklin.org. That's D-U-N-K-L-I-N.org. Hey, Nick mentioned to me after the interview that they love to have visitors. You can even stay the night and uh, be a part of the community. So if you're ever in South Florida, it could be a fun trip. Hey, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.